From the Financial Times in London, I'm Ravi Matu, the FT's technology editor, and this is FT News. The fight between Silicon Valley and the FBI over encryption deepened this week after Apple pledged to fight a court order that it unblocked the iPhone of one of the perpetrators of the San Bernardino terrorist attacks. Tim Cook, CEO of Apple, said the ruling was a chilling example of overreach by the U.S. government with dire consequences for the privacy of citizens. Joining me to discuss this are Tim Bradshaw, the FT's San Francisco correspondent, and in London, Sam Jones, our defense and security editor. Tim, let me start with you. Why has Apple been so strong and so robust in its response to this particular case? Apple has begun making privacy a central plank of its messaging really a couple of years ago when it made some changes to iOS 8, which introduced a lot deeper encryption into the operating system that runs on its iPhones and iPads. And that was really a response to some of the revelations by Edward Snowden about the extent of government surveillance and how far that was trying to tap into Silicon Valley companies. But I think Apple has also seen this as a way to draw a clear line between its business model and that of its main rivals in Silicon Valley, principally Google, because Apple primarily does not make money from advertising, which is sort of targeted and used large amounts of personal data, it's able to take a sort of bolder stance on privacy than companies like Google and Facebook. And so there's been a slow buildup of rhetoric on this. They launched iOS 8 with a big letter to customers saying how privacy was central to their business. And if you are not paying for a product, you're not the customer, you are the product yourself because you're the one that's being sold off to advertisers and such. But I think there was a sense in the last sort of 18 months or so, you know, how far was this something that Apple was just doing as a sort of marketing technique to differentiate itself from Android smartphones? Or was it something that they believed deeply enough to really get into a fight with the government over? And it would appear that the latter is the case. They have not pulled any punches in their response to the FBI's requests here, criticising the use of this 200-year-old law, the All Writs Act, to force them to do this. And they're also just saying that if you do ask a tech company to build a tool which they describe as enabling it to hack their own phones, then that opens a very difficult Pandora's box to close uh, because they can no longer refuse that, not just in the US, but in other countries around the world where regimes may be less well-intentioned than the FBI seems to be in this terrorist case. You talk about this differentiation on a company level from its competitors, but of course, WhatsApp, the messaging service owned by Facebook and the head of Google, Sundar Pichai have both been public in supporting Apple's stance. So does this have broader ramifications across the valley than just Apple? Yes, I think there was a a moment when people were waiting to see how the rest of Silicon Valley would respond. And to be clear, we are still waiting at this point for any particular kind of statements from Microsoft or Facebook themselves. There is still a lot of Silicon Valley that is staying fairly silent or at least speaking through trade organizations. But Jan Coombe, who was the co-founder of WhatsApp, which has always been a sort of fairly advertising-averse messaging app, was the first executive out here to come out in emphatic support of Tim Cook. That was then followed after a little bit of nudging from Edward Snowden on Twitter by Sundar Pichai at Google, who in a series of tweets has said that they do stand by Apple on this and worry that it would create a dangerous precedent. But there's a difference here, I suppose, in that they're saying they support Apple, it's not clear to what extent they will actually, you know, help with its legal fight. We've had privacy groups like the Electronic Frontier Foundation who say they will file amicus briefs in the court that adds their support in the legal environment as well as just on social networks. Now, Sam, can you explain to us the viewpoint from the intelligence agencies and government? Because ultimately, they seem to be arguing this is just one phone. And 
yet it obviously is ramped up in terms of having a broader significance for that relationship between the tech world and governments and consumers and users of the technology and how access to the data held within those is obtained. What would their response be towards the Apples and WhatsApps and Googles? I think the first thing here to note is that this case is very different from the debate that has come before it. You know, as Tim pointed out, there's been this kind of brewing standoff between intelligence agencies in the West in particular and Silicon Valley for some time now in the wake of the Edward Snowden revelations over the extent to which those companies are complicit or should be complicit in providing data to the government when it requires it. And historically, the argument has been, particularly with a lot of the mass data collection activities that were exposed by Edward Snowden, that the government was basically scooping up all of this information, the vast majority of which had nothing to do with terrorism or terrorists, and that was an infringement of civil liberties. And the response from the tech companies to that was that we stand by our users, there's a presumption of privacy here. This is different because this is a terrorist's phone. This is someone who has killed people. So, you know, this is going to be quite controversial. This is going to be very difficult to justify publicly. And I think the FBI knows that. And that is also why they have gone for this as a case. It's not even clear to me, to be honest, that the FBI couldn't have gotten into this phone if it wanted to by itself. So in making this a point of principle, battle lines are being drawn here. Apple's argument also that in doing this it's going to naturally weaken the privacy standards for all of its customers is also not clear. The FBI says that it's very specifically asking for access to this phone, that the technology it wants Apple to build or help build isn't going to weaken the encryption. It's simply going to make it easier for the FBI to use its existing capabilities to break the encryption. So in a nutshell, you know, when you enter the wrong password in a phone 10 times, it locks you out permanently. The FBI want that turned off so that they can just use their huge computing power to crack the password using brute force. So that doesn't mean that just because Apple designs a program that makes that a bit easier, that everyone out there is suddenly going to be able to take an iPhone and use it. You'd still have to have the computing resources of the FBI to break the encryption. So the debate is a little bit more complex than either side is making it seem at first. But obviously what is clear is that this is going to set the tone and the standard of the way the intelligence agencies and the tech community work for years to come. You tweeted earlier, this was a big moment because the world's biggest company is saying to the world's most powerful government that it will only obey laws it wants to. Extend that beyond the US. I mean, what does this mean? Because presumably part of it has to do with the way potentially other intelligence agencies will also be wanting to access technologies run by these companies. Well, I mean, the sort of background to that is that obviously in public, lots of intelligence agencies are angry, but guarded in their condemnation of tech companies. In private, though, a lot of them are spitting tax about the idea that these companies have any right to stand up to uh, democratically elected governments. The counter-argument from Silicon Valley, or one of them rather, has always been that if you force us to do things, then we operate in China, in Russia, in other countries around the world that aren't necessarily democratic, that have terrible records of spying on their citizens and infringing civil liberties and uh, privacy. And we can't stop them from demanding stuff of us too. Well, as someone, a senior member of the European intelligence community, put it to me a couple of months ago, they are going to have to make the choice. You know, companies like Google and Facebook and others will have to turn around and say no to some governments because the West's spies are determined to push ahead with this. Tim, in the US, politically, there's clearly been some very uh, forthright comments from people like Donald Trump, the uh, candidate for the Republican presidential nomination, and Senator Dianne Feinstein of California as well, taking Apple to task for this. 
What about the public mood in terms of consumer sentiment? I think privacy is always a slightly complicated issue to gauge consumer sentiment on because it's something that a lot of people say they hold very dearly and value very highly. But at the same time, people continue to use services that compromise their privacy in various ways because they get them for free and because they find them convenient. So I think for the sort of Apple loyalists, this is sort of rallying the faithful. But there are, of course, those who are saying, well, this, you know, I will never buy an iPhone again because they're not cooperating with an investigation into terrorism. And what Sam was saying is, right, it is in some cases the perfect argument for the FBI to pick because any tech company is forced to choose between impeding an investigation into terrorism or standing by its principles around privacy and security. So it's, as one analyst put it, the PR optics could not possibly be worse for Apple in this. Final last word, very quickly to you, Sam. Do you think the intelligence agencies, given the significance of this particular case, are going to fight this one all the way? I wouldn't be surprised. I think you have to think what happens if they lose this and the precedent that sets. Because whilst Apple's dealt in the what-if scenarios and said if they make us do this, then China, Russia, others, they could do the same. Well, the counterfactual is that if they can't make you do this, then effectively, as a tech company, you are saying, we don't have to do this. We don't have to kowtow to the US's concerns because we're a global business. And that's interesting to me on a number of levels, not least because it suddenly seems to create this environment where the fact a company exists globally and is a global multinational is allowing those interests to trump the interests of a national government, even a national government as powerful and well-resourced as the US. So anyone to watch in the coming days, Sam Jones in London, Tim Bradshaw in San Francisco, thanks very much. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure.